everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as witch casting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches and our wonderful world of magic. Joining me today is my special guest, Petros. He is a veteran. Today, Petros and I will be talking about his experiences as pagan while serving in the armed forces. Hello, Petros. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. So when were you active duty and what branch of service were you in? I was in the United States Army and I went on active duty in 1987. Stayed there till, well, I was stationed in Germany and then, of course, went to Desert Storm in uh, December of 1990 and uh, came back after that and went National Guard. So I, I spent a total time of 11 years in the military. And you were pagan while you were in the military, I understand. Yes, yes. we. I was pagan. There were quite a few of us, but uh, that wasn't really looked upon as okay in the military at that time. So it was, uh, your dog tag said other <laughs> instead of your chosen religion. So we decided that we didn't like that. So we started uh, giving the supply sergeant a hard time about, hey, it should, should be what my religion is. Well, it's not a recognized religion. Well, don't care if you recognize it or not. It should be on my dog tags. And since we're going to Iraq, you can go ahead and put that on there. So it probably took us two, two and a half months. And he finally... We finally relented and put it on our dog tag. So as far as I know, we were the first ones, uh, certainly the, the only ones in our unit, and the only ones in our base that had Wicca uh, stamped on our dog tags. That's exciting. Well, it was interesting. Uh, it, it was exciting for us at the time. Now, you know, it's I'm, I'm 55 years old now, so it, it's not as significant as it was at the time when we were in the moment, right? Germany is full of, of pagans. There's pagans everywhere. And uh, uh, it was it was nice for us to be able to blend into that community and and talk to them and let them know that yes we were soldiers but yeah it even says it right here on my dog tags this is my religion so it was it was good. You interacted with the German pagans while you were stationed in Germany. Yes, I wouldn't call it a coven at the time, but the group that we worked with, all military. And of course, all men at the time were combat arms. Women weren't allowed in at that point. So we didn't have women to work with in our circles. And we, we had places out in, in the German forest where we could go and, uh, and do our rituals. And, and it was a beautiful space in the middle of a river on a big flat rock it had been used by, we suspected it had been used by pagans for a very long time. But we finally found a Wiccan coven in Germany to work with. So we started doing rituals together in that space. But there weren't many Americans that you knew who were pagan at that time. There were six of us. That's not many. No, 
no, no, not a lot. And there were probably more, but it was frowned upon to be something other than a Christian, right? So you could get all kinds of extra duty and things that uh, you didn't plan on for being a pagan and, and bucking the norm. Was that your experience? Uh, it was. They didn't mess with us too much. We didn't associate with most of the people on base other than those that we had to. The majority of it was uh, off post and out of sight, out of mind. It wasn't like it is today where you could you could say, this is who I am and it's a recognized religion. Back then, it was not recognized in, in Department of Defense as being a recognized religion. That didn't happen until later in Fort Hood. What happened at Fort Hood? A gentleman, actually a coven, wanted a church on Fort Hood, and they had a space they were trying to make Wicca recognized as a religion and to have a safe space to worship. And uh, that started a long battle. We were, or I was back here in the United States and had started a coven here. We had a very large coven here, and we were working with um, other covens in Dallas, Fort Worth, Irving, um, Houston. There's a wonderful group called Council of Magical Arts that um, had a space and an event twice a year for Sawin and Beltane. And we would go to those events where we heard about them starting their fight to become recognized on Fort Hood and throughout the Department of Defense. So we started, there were a lot of people that came to uh, those Council of Magical Arts events, politicians, federal agents. There were lots of people you wouldn't expect to be there that were that were actually pagan, and that was the only place that they could safely worship their faith. Oh, I would say I've seen as many as 3,000 people at a, at a Council of Magical Arts event for four days. So it was, it was amazing. CMA did a lot of good things. But we heard about their struggle, and all of us started working together with the council, individually, quietly, covens, people in the background, behind the scenes, started making phone calls and talking to people. and trying to help pave the way for them to become successful in their adventure because uh, it was an adventure. It, it took quite some time for, for them to get that established. And I, I think you're probably going to interview him at some point if you haven't already. Uh, he can tell you the uh, intricate details of how all that worked. But, but <laughs> I won't give away somebody's name. That's, that's theirs to do, not mine. But he doesn't even know how many people helped him. He knows that there were organizations and people, but he doesn't even know everybody's name that was involved. And it was just a great thing to see the community come together in support of them and take on the military establishment. And everybody who was involved with this endeavor has helped many, many people, and they don't even realize it. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just one link in that chain of the person that introduced or that gave you my name was one of my mentors at that time. He and I, both prior service military, and him much longer. Pre my time in the military, he was he was doing his service, and we became part of the security detail for the site. We did all the military guys as well as EMTs, firefighters became the the medics and firefighters on site for those events. So uh, we interfaced with law enforcement quite frequently because their property is out in the middle of the Bible Belt. So it wasn't uncommon for somebody to to call law enforcement and say, oh, uh, they're sacrificing kids out there. So somebody had to come out and see what we were doing. So we were very open to let them in. Come look at what we're doing. Nobody's doing anything illegal here. And it's the same thing they had to deal with at Fort Hood, right? This is our religion. So you got to let us do it. 
Yeah, and they always bring up that whole thing about sacrificing babies and eating babies and killing animals. Why do you think people make that up? I don't know. They've been doing it for centuries. I mean, the burning times is a perfect example of that. I mean, they burned women at the stake, uh, and they think we're doing it. It was was Christianity that was doing it. And I don't have a problem with, I mean, I've studied and, and been around the planet a few times, and and studied a lot of religions and been in a lot of ceremonies. Core of most religion is the same. The names are different in how we choose to worship it, and, and the ritual and the time that we spend building all of those pieces to make the ritual as effective for us as we can um, is what it's all about. So I wish they wish they get the same picture, right? When law enforcement would show up at these events, what would happen? Did you have any firsthand experience with that? Uh, I saw it, but I was not in the leadership staff, so I was not on the board of directors or uh, able to make any of those decisions for them. So we, the council was very good about having a, a section of the 100-acre site that we were on for families. Uh, so it was kid-friendly, family-friendly, no alcohol, no nudity, none of those things. And then there was the whole different section in the lower field for consenting adults, and that's where all the alcohol and parties and all that stuff went, but the rituals and everything were, were amazing. But law enforcement would come in and would say, you can walk around as long as somebody from the council is with you. You're more than welcome to walk around. So they did. Where we really saw, they didn't have a problem with us. Uh, after about two or three two or three years, they got called in on us. They, they stopped worrying about us. They'd show up every once in a while, say hi, and meet the new um, director staff, and they, they'd move on. But it's in your local community is where you start running into bigger problems with law enforcement that are not familiar with paganism. Going back to planning the first open circle at Fort Hood, how long did that process take? We started talking about it. I want to say it was two years. I think it was two years. It's been a long time. But I think it was two years that we started talking about it. Everybody started making phone calls and developing plans because nobody wanted to out somebody that was in the military and get them in trouble as part of this, bringing news media and all of those things in. We didn't share names. So we knew the priest's name, um, but that's it. Uh, We didn't want to know anybody else's name. That plausible deniability for everybody in the military as well as everybody that might have been in a leadership position or a politician or something like that, didn't want to be outed in the community, uh, didn't have to worry about it. So only a select few people were the face of that event uh, and all of the communication uh, publicly uh, about that event. And that's why we have all these secret names, right? Our craft names? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why Books of Shadows were originally written in wax. (laughs) (laughs) Did you attend the first open circle at Fort Hood? I did not. You did not. I heard it was a spectacular event. I'm sure it was. I heard about it. We, uh, I don't live, I'm about four and a half, five hours away from Fort Hood. At that time, we were in San Antonio. Now I'm closer, but it's still a four-hour trek. So I had to go do things like job and pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, real-life stuff that's not so fun, right? <laughs> exactly. Planning the first open circle, that was when the internet was either new or not existing yet, right? It was relatively new at that time. 
is as soon as the internet was available, we started building our own websites. And we weren't just in list serves anymore. We could actually do HTML. And, and, and I'm a retired computer guy, so that's what I did, right? But we started building web pages. We had a Coven web page inside of a month. Uh, as soon as we had access to the internet, we were building. So you experienced discrimination in the military. Did you have the same experience after you left the military? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Corporate America isn't, or at that time, uh, was not ready for that uh, at all. It is their belief that everything in, everything in the world is Christian-based, and it's not. And they don't understand it. And what they don't understand, they fear. So that time, I was a little, I was younger, more rebellious, didn't have a problem taking on a fight to anybody, whether it be physical or verbal. So in the workplace, I worked for two Fortune 50 companies um, and worked all over the world for those two companies. So it was, I didn't care whether they liked it or not. It's who I am and you can deal with it. And sometimes I would get questions, sometimes I wouldn't. But all of my management knew who I was, what I was. I worked with the senior executives of both of those companies. I don't think the senior executives knew, but certainly the line management knew. So you were out of the closet then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was certain. Well, we were running one of the largest covens in San Antonio at the time. So, yes, we, we were certainly out of the closet. I couldn't hide my name. <laughs> <laughs> but after people knew you and knew the person that you are, and they knew you're a pagan, did their attitude change? You said fear of the unknown, but at some point they became to know you and know that you're pagan. Yeah, it actually opened a lot of conversations, and I still get it today. I, I still teach. Um, we have a farm now. We teach military veterans, active duty military, beginning farmers and ranchers. We, we train them in regenerative agriculture. So not uncommon for them to come in and see an altar set up and uh, that we always leave up. That will spawn questions. So they know who I am. They've talked to me for six months before they ever see the place. So it's always interesting to to hear the conversations and to see what their preconceived notions and what they've been what they've been told, right? Uh, and they understand they, they get to see that it's not actually that way. Have they responded positively to you after seeing your altar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a lot of questions about what are the things on the altar, and so I have to explain to them what they are to us and what they are in the space of nature and the elements. But I can correlate to their own religion, right? You have things on your altars, too. We do, too. There's there's nothing different. We're using them for the same purpose. You have a ritual. We have a ritual. It's all based off of the cycles of the moon, cycles of the sun, cycles of the planet. Um, yours is based off the cycles that someone told you was so in the book. So um, most of those things came from our religion a long time ago. So, hey, we're not very much different. It's just how we address it and how we speak about it. I can joke with most of these guys because we're all prior service and, and the ladies too. We're all prior service. So there's always the inner service rivalry and picking at each other. It's just what we do. But I can always tell them, hey, you know, our religion is 24 uh, 7, 365. You guys just have to go in on Sunday and repent. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need a building. That's right. And we don't need to show everybody that we're uh, good people by showing up for worship in a dwelling. That's right. That's right. I'll, I'll put money into my church, which is the planet I live on. Exactly. After you left the military, you were also an advisor to law enforcement. What exactly does that mean? 
it's an interesting term. It was law enforcement didn't know what to do with people who were people were starting to come out of the closet, particularly teenagers, and they were they were cruising around with swords in the back seat of their cars, which now we can do legally. But they pulled a teenager over on a Friday night, and he's carrying around pentagrams, chalices, and swords and knives. Uh, they started asking questions, and they would just arrest him for that stuff. So kids started saying, "Hey, this is this is part of my religion." And they didn't know what to do with that. So a former city council member in the area we lived outside of San Antonio, I went and approached him and said, look, you guys are arresting people for things that you can't arrest them for. And he said, well, we don't know how to tell the difference of who really is using those tools for their religion and who's just using it as an excuse. I'm like, well, if you want me to help, I can help. So if you have an officer that pulls somebody over and they, they claim are religious tools. You want to call me? I'll come out, talk to them, and find out if that's true or not. So I did receive, oh, probably 30, 35 calls in that year to go out on site and, and see if they were actually pagans. And, and every one of them was. There wasn't one that wasn't. They got to learn and they got to see the questions I was asking them, why I asked them, what are those tools for? Um, so the officers started to understand, oh, it is a religion. There is something behind this. So it's not just somebody passed a law. So it was good. I got a lot of questions from police officers um, after that to understand. Well, well, explain the religion to me. Explain how the tools are used so that we understand. Once they understood it, it became not a problem. And then after that first year, I didn't receive any more calls. They had enough data on their own to make that decision without infringing on someone's rights. Yeah, it's not against the law to practice your religion, regardless of what that religion is. That's correct. And people who are not pagan wouldn't know enough, I'm assuming, to use that as an excuse if they have some type of weaponry in their vehicle and say, well, these are my tools for worship. Only a pagan would say, these are my tools, my altar tools, my ritual tools. Yes. At that time, it was it was the new thing coming out in the public, right? So everybody was hearing about it. So it became an easy thing for someone to say, oh, I'm just a pagan. I mean, I heard it in the office, right? Oh, well, you're a pagan. I'll just bring a knife into work and I'll just say I'm a pagan. I'm like, well, you better know what that thing's for. <laughs> it's not an offensive. They would actually say that? Yeah, they'd have the conversation with me about it. We'd, we'd laugh about it. I'm like, well, it's no different than me carrying a gun into your church, right? So <laughs> your priest has the ability to say no. It's not a tool in your ritual space. But that knife, that athame is a tool in our workspace. And it's not an offensive tool necessarily. You still interact with quite a few veterans, and they probably are veterans uh, who may be even younger than you and served at a different time. Do you get any feedback of what their experiences are like as far as being pagan or accepting people who are pagan? No, I haven't heard anything about it. And and you're absolutely right. All of these uh, veterans are younger than I am. They're all uh, enduring freedom and Iraqi freedom vets, so the majority, 90, 95% of them are. So, no, I haven't heard anything negative. I have had some go, oh, I've seen alters in some of my, most of these are senior ranking NCOs or officers that have spent 20 years in the military or longer, right? So they're like, oh, I had soldiers that were under me that were pagan and had alters set up in their rooms. And yeah, it wasn't a big deal. So I think the stigmatism is worn off, but I haven't spoken to, it's funny because I'm now I'm up at Fort Hood more than I should be, but 
the education side of this takes me there. I work with students in Fort Hood. I need to reach out and go see the church, right? Yeah, I understand they have a whole area just for our rituals. I haven't been up there either, but that would be a good road trip. Yeah, I'll be going up there for more extended stays, so I'll have some time to go visit. It'll be great. Now there are open circles all over the military and many installations, including overseas and deployments. You didn't have that experience, did you, when you were deployed? No, no. There was uh, in Iraq before the ground war started, the pagans that I knew uh, that were in my unit, we would just walk outside of the the wire and and do our rituals outside, away from everyone else. Oh, you did? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, we're in Iraq, right? At one point, we were where the Tigris-Euphrates River crossed, which is where their Garden of Eden was. So, I mean, we saw the ziggurat. I stood on the ziggurat. So it's uh, in the city of Ur, which is Jacob's home. We were in those spaces, so it was really a religious experience to be in that country. I mean, we're in Mesopotamia at that point. So, yeah, we were pretty tied to it, and and the stars are amazing. The the sky is just amazing. Something that you don't see here in the United States? No, you you got to go really high up in the mountains of Colorado or, um, yeah, you got to get away from all the light. That desert, there's just nothing, nothing blocking that sky. It's stunning. That must be magical. It is. The energies are quite amazing. So now veterans, pagan veterans, can have their emblem of belief on grave markers. Yes. And I am tickled about that. Of course, I won't have one because I'll be buried on my farm. So, <laughs> Well, you can still have one. True. Well, we have them all over the farm. <laughs> yeah. But that that's I'm tickled to death, too. That's really cool. It is. And I know the Desert Storm Memorial is going to go up this year in Washington, outside the mall next to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. We'll see uh We'll see if they've taken any of that to heart. If they put religious emblems next to the names there, then we should see if there's any pentagrams. Well, if they do have religious emblems on there, I'm sure we're going to see photos. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to spread the pictures all over social media. Say, these are our people. Well, there's been some conversations and questions asked of, of those organizations already. Uh, we just haven't seen a response yet. We don't know what the actual memorial is going to look like. We have a we have a draft drawing of it, and I think it's just going to be like the Vietnam Memorial where it's just names. But we, we were making sure it's a federal installation, so they don't like putting religious emblems except on the on the grave markers. Is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, with the listeners that you think would be beneficial as far as being in the military and being pagan? Any advice you would like to give them? Well, being in the military today, you can be pagan, right? It's now legal for you to be a pagan in the military. So they shouldn't have any problems. They were, they have religious discrimination now um, with as much change that's happened in the military over the last 10 years. They certainly need to run it up the chain of command. Previously, there was no chain of command when I was in that you could go take it to. But now it's a, it's law in the Department of Defense. So. You, you cannot discriminate against someone's religion, and paganism is one of those religions. So I don't think there's an issue. I am seeing more people sign up for the priesthood um, in the military. So they're now, I know they're getting that curriculum. Even if they're not Wiccan, they're getting the curriculum to be able to perform those rites and make them available to pagans. 
so don't don't back away from it now it's it's legal in the military it's part of the rules they have to follow don't allow them to discriminate against you well thank you petros for being a guest and being 55 years old you have seen so many changes for pagans inside and outside the military thank you for having me on yes it's it's been amazing and i think we'll see more changes i'm seeing a new uh, a new push of new people asking questions about paganism. So I think I think there'll be another explosion in, in our communities. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at Theodora Pendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time and may your magic always shine. Thank you.